Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. What's up, Outpouring family? So good to see you on another week. I'm excited to bring the Word of God this week, man. I'm glad that you've gathered this morning to to study and to worship. Uh, Worship Jesus this morning, man. Worship was so awesome, so phenomenal this morning. Um, but now it's time for us to worship God through studying of God's word. So, so here's what I want to do first. I want to invite all of our first time guests. If you are visiting us in our online community for the first time, we just want to extend open arms, extend virtual open arms to you and say thank you so much for being with us on today. I pray that above all that you would see Jesus for who he is, that you would love him more than you did before you came and encountered um, what we're doing today through our worship at the outpouring. And so we just want to welcome all of our first time guests. Hey, if you are ever in Orlando, once we meet again physically, we would love for you to stop by and visit with us. To all of my folks who are worship with us online from wherever you are, big shout out to you. Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us. To all of my outpouring family, man, I can't wait to see you again. I so miss gathering with the saints of God, man, and just greeting and hugging and loving on each other and just even the short conversations, man, and being around each other. There's something that special that happens when God's people gather. And so here's what I want you to do for me now. Um, Although we're not meeting physically, I want you to reach out to somebody that you know is probably still asleep, probably out doing doing their thing. I I want you to invite them in, maybe send them a link, send them a text message and say, hey, Man, pastor's about to give the word of God, and I think you should join us. Or just share the link with somebody. Maybe they can come on and watch it later, man. But I want us to gather together as a church family and worship the risen king, even though we're doing this uh, virtually. So if you got a Bible, I want you to turn it with me today. Um, Hey, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Oftentimes, a sermon will make more sense if you are already engaging with God and his word on your own. Sometimes you watch a sermon or you are content with just watching sermons online or listening to sermons through podcasts, but you never study God's word for yourself. You don't know what you're missing in the depths of what you're missing if you never are engaging with God's word on your own. God's word is is God speaking to us, but it's also a means of grace that God gives us to grow us in him to make us more like his son. So why Won't we use what God has given us? So I want to encourage you throughout the week, take some time to engage with God. Your life will be better for, but ultimately you will grow in your relationship with God. So with that being said, grab your device, grab your Bible, and I want you to meet me in the Gospel of Matthew Matthew chapter 11, and today we're going to study verses 25 through 30. So I want you to keep your Bible handy today. If you got a physical Bible, put it right in front of you, in front of your iPad, in front of your laptop, or in front of your whatever you're using, whatever device. I want you to grab your Bible, and we're going to journey through something today that I think is pertinent for all of us, is relevant for all of us, and where we are right now. And so I'm excited to get into this today. I hope your heart is open. I hope your mind is open. Would you meet me at Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, and I'll begin reading. Here's what it says. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent 
and reveal them to infants. Yes, father, because this was your good pleasure. Here's what Jesus said. All things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the father, knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son desires to reveal to him. And here's the crux of our text today, verses 28 through 30. I think this is real for so many of us. We, we need this today. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We need rest for our souls in the climate we live in. Here's what Jesus said in verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's so good. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today, God. We thank you that you've gathered, called us to gather and you've met us here, God, that you are right here in the midst, wherever we are in our respective places, God, whether we're in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the living room, on the couch, in our apartments, in our homes, in our car even. God, God, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. And so, Father, we just invite you in to join us today. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, God, you would open our hearts, our minds to hear, to receive, to come into a relationship with you, God. I pray that you would grow us today, God, that you would grow us through the studying of your word. So, Father, I pray today that they would not just hear me, but that they would hear you. Lord, I pray that you would scream loud and clear to us, God, and that you would compel us to come to you. And so, Father, I pray that today your son would be glorified, that he would be lifted up, that he would be exalted today, Lord. And I pray that Jesus would get all the glory and all the honor. I pray for everyone today, God, that is struggling, whether they're struggling in their faith, struggling in their finances, struggling in their family. Lord, I pray that you would give strength for those who are weak. And so, Father, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My sermon title today is Rest for the Weary. Rest for the Weary. With so much going on in our culture and our society today, um, as I've been reading um, not just theological stuff, but I would just read just as a general practice to know what's going on. And I've been introduced to a term that I think describes the atmosphere, the attitude, um, and where we are as a people. And this term is called crisis fatigue. Crisis fatigue. And so crisis fatigue is essentially all of the things that we have going on that are abnormal. But for us in the climate we live in, it seems like things just keep happening. It, it is a resounding crisis that we're living in right now. Typically, when we are challenged, when we're faced with some sort of thing, we go into survival mode, which is called uh, fight or flight. We can make a decision to fight for our lives, stand our ground, or we can flight. We can go to safety from the danger that we find ourselves in. But what do you do 
when you can't run from what is giving you trouble. And so with everything that we have going on in our culture, with the protests, with the the racial injustice, with COVID-19 still alive and well, with people still dying every day and cases going through the roof, we are constantly bombarded by all of the things that we face. We are tired. There is no way that the human body, the human mind, our emotions were meant to go through all the things that we're going through. When we turn on the TV, we are bombarded with it. When we pick up our phones, we're bombarded with it. When we get on the phone, we're bombarded with it. It is the topic of every conversation that we are having. We are bombarded by all of those things that we have to deal with that is going on in our culture. Not to mention, you still have to go to work. You still have to go to school. You still have to provide for yourself. You still have to provide for your family. You still have the dynamics of dealing with people on a day-to-day basis in addition to everything that is going on in the world. If you sneeze today, you are worried, thinking, do I have some sort of disease? Is something wrong with me? If you cough, you're automatically thinking that something is wrong with you. That is a matter of crisis. We are tired. We're tired. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So much is going on. And so we are faced with this restlessness every day of our lives. So what happens when you are restless You need to be introduced to something that will give you rest. Not just something, not just a method that will give you rest, but you need to be introduced to rest himself. And so my goal today is to introduce you not just to rest, but also to peace, not just peace in and of itself, but to introduce you to the one that we know as the Prince of Peace. And so we pick up today's passage, a very familiar passage with people for people who have faced with burdens and have been weighed down by life that are just tired. But before we get to that point of the message, first, we must understand in order to know the one that gives us rest, we must know who he is. And so we pick up today's passage in Matthew chapter 11. And chapter 11 is really going through how people have responded to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is really recapping all of the towns that he's gone to, that he's done miracles in, that he's done all of these signs and wonders, and still somehow, with all of that, with all of the miracles he's done, people are still rejecting Jesus. For some people, when they saw Jesus do miracles, They saw it as a a sign of enthusiasm, something that they would be entertained by, for them to be amused by. Like like in our day, in our culture, we run to conferences to to see miracles take place. But do you know the primary reason why Jesus did miracles in those days was not just to entertain people. He wasn't trying to entertain people. Jesus was doing miracles, number one, because he had compassion on people. But most importantly, Jesus was doing miracles to prove to them that I am the son of God. I am who I said that. I am. And so Jesus' miracles served a purpose that was supposed to produce faith in people. Even today when we are are faced with things in our lives and God comes through and God does a miracle for us, we still find ourselves doubting later seasons in our lives. Later on, we find ourselves doubting when we've seen God's hand work in our lives. And those things that God did for us was not supposed to produce doubt, but they were supposed to produce faith. 
And so we see somebody who's even close to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 talking about his cousin, John the Baptist. He's in prison and because of his circumstances, he sends a note to Jesus that says, are you the one or shall we look for another? And Jesus' response to John the Baptist was this. Hey, the lame are walking. The deaf are hearing. Uh, uh, people that were blind can now see. The dead are being raised and the poor are hearing the good news. I am who I said that I am. And so we see John not being unresponsive to Jesus, but he's still uncertain about Jesus. And so the signs, the miracles were to let people know that the kingdom of God has come. And most people refused to see Jesus as a Messiah. And they came just like now. They came up with every possible reason to avoid having to deal with God. In this small section of chapter 11, we see a specific type of people, though. There's always a remnant. We see a specific type of people that will respond favorably to Jesus. And Jesus, what we see today in verse 25 is Jesus is now thanking his father that there are people that are responding favorably to what he has revealed to them. And so what we see in verse 25, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, but you reveal them to infants. And so before I get to the point of what Jesus is trying to say, I want you to take note of how Jesus is praying. Jesus starts off his prayer with praise to God. I think that's a good model for us because oftentimes we come to God and we start talking to him. Oftentimes we don't begin our prayer with praise. But you see Jesus himself going to his father and he's thanking God for something that God is doing in his midst. When we begin our prayers, do we begin with thanksgiving or do we start off our prayers with a to-do list for God or complaints about something that's not going right? And so Jesus doesn't just come to God as some far off being. He, he says, he's my father, which, which, which imitates something that is, that is intimate between Jesus and God. And so he's talking to him like he is a good father. He's talking to him like he wants God to be a part of his life. And oftentimes when we go to God, we come to him as if he's some far off being and we come to God not like he's a good father, but oftentimes don't we come to God and treat him like he's some sort of deadbeat dad? That we reach out to him when it's time for us to want, get something from him. We reach out to him when we need resources from him. But when you have a good father, you don't just want to talk to your father when you need something. You want to share your life with him. You want to be open to him. You want to get his advice. You want to love on him. You want to be in relationship with him. You want to walk with him. You don't need anything to be going on in your life. You just want to spend time with your father. And Jesus models that for us. And Jesus is thanking God. Here's why he's thanking God. He's thanking God that although some people have rejected him, Jesus is thanking God that God chose to reveal himself at all. And so God has revealed and is revealing that the kingdom has come through his son, Jesus. The kingdom of God has come through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. But here's the thing. If you want to know the one who gives rest, you got to understand something. There's a way that you come to God. There's a type of person that God reveals the things of the kingdom to. And it says in this text that he reveals himself to infants. When you think about an infant, what do you think about? You think about somebody that is completely and totally dependent on somebody to do everything for them. 
An infant is not somebody that is self-sufficient. An infant is not self-reliant. And so when he says you reveal yourself to infants, what he's saying is this. The things that God reveals, he reveals to people that know that they need help. He reveals the way to salvation to those that know they cannot save themselves, to those that have come to the end of themselves. Simply put, the knowledge of God comes to the humble and the broken. So if you want to know God, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you for the first time want to come into a relationship with God, you need to first recognize your need for a savior. The knowledge of God does not depend on human wisdom or intellect or how much education that you have. God says he hid those things from the intelligent, not saying that intelligent people or wise people can't be saved. But what he's saying is this. Oftentimes, those who are intelligent or wise in the world eyes tend to lean on their own understanding. They tend to want to accomplish salvation for themselves, especially when it comes to their own spirituality. But self-sufficiency means that I cannot completely come and trust God. So in order for you to have a relationship with God, you got to come before him broken and humble, knowing that you need a savior. And I don't know about you, but when I look at my own life and my own shortcomings and the things that I've done wrong and the things that I still get wrong to this day and the mistakes that I, that I made, I can't sit here and say that I don't need a savior. I know I need God. And so we think about the the, the message of the gospel as a whole, we look at it and we look at the message of the gospel and it is foolishness to those who trust their own wisdom. Hear Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Here's what the apostle Paul said. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. And so here's what God knows about the wise and the intelligent. For those that the world considers wise and intelligent, all the people that we go to for advice, all the people that we turn our TV on and we look for guidance, all the people that we follow on social media so that we can get their perspective on the way that things are and the way they should be. And here's what God is saying. I don't remember reveal it to the wise. I don't reveal myself into the kingdom to people who trust in their own wisdom. If I revealed it to the wise or those that the culture considers to be wise, you know what they do? They would say, I figured God out and they would take credit for it. But God is saying, I only reveal it to those who are humble and broken. I don't reveal it to the wise and to the intelligent. The reason why is because I will not share my glory with anybody else. And so if you are coming to God, you must come broken and humble before him. And so when he saves you, you you can say, I know it was only God that saved me and I could not save myself. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is the biggest obstacle to a saving relationship with God. But humility opens the door to the kingdom while pride keeps it shut. And so and so this is to whom and how God chooses for people to know him. How, how do people know God? God? God chooses 
He reveals it is his own divine will. Here's what Jesus said in verse 26. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. It pleased God to reveal himself to the lowly, to the humble, to the broken. God revealed himself to the humblest of people. It was God's will that the lowly, the people that the world considered to be nobodies, could find the way of the kingdom. God intended it for it to be this way. It was his own good pleasure. The haves and the have-nots both find the kingdom the same way through humility. So that is how we know the things of God, by humbling ourselves, by being broken before him. But we can't just know the kingdom, the way of God, the way to salvation. We can know God himself. That's what I love about being in a relationship with Jesus is that I don't have to guess about God. I can know God, that God can be known. And here's what he says in verse 27. Jesus says, all things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and to anyone whom the son desires. And what he's saying is all power, all dominion, all authority, the father has shifted that to the son. And so Jesus is the name that is above every name. He, he is in control. He rules and he Reigns, And so the father is the one who has intimate knowledge of the son. Here's how I know this. When, the, when, when Peter finally said, you know what, Jesus, you are the Messiah. J Jesus says, Peter, who, who do you think I am? And he says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't tell you that. F flesh and blood, blood didn't reveal that to you. But my father in heaven. And so the son, Jesus being the son of God, was not obvious. It didn't just be the eye. Who would have thought a carpenter from some small village called Nazareth would actually be the son of God? The, the son of God had to be somebody of noble, uh, uh, of noble worth, somebody that everybody knew, somebody that came from some royal family. They, they, they could, it couldn't be some regular, degular guy. But yet the father knew knew that. And so the father has intimate knowledge of the son and the son has intimate knowledge of the father. That is to say that we can't know God unless we know the son. And if you've ever wondered what God is like, like, man, I, I wonder what God is like. I, I wonder what God looks like. I wonder what he acts like. I, I wonder how God actually is. The Apostle Paul tells us this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Here's what he says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. And what that means is this. If you ever wanted to know what God is like, all you got to do is look at the sun. All you got to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is uniquely the son of of God. He is the spitting image of his father and the father has given all authority to his son to reveal him to whoever he chooses. And what that means is this, that if you want to know God, you can't know him unless you come through Jesus. If you don't believe me, I'll let Jesus speak for himself. Here's what he says 
and maybe one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible, John 14, verses 6 through 7. Jesus said this about himself. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, comes to the father except through me. And if you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know the father because you've seen him. You've seen him when you saw me. And so you too can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And once you come into a relationship with God, then we can find what we've been looking for, which is rest. So here's what Jesus does. He extends the greatest invitation that's ever been extended. I don't know what parties you've been invited to. I don't know what weddings you've been invited to. I don't know as a kid whose birthday party you got invited to or who, whose high school, who was the, who was the kid that was, that was the it kid, the, the most popular kid in school or the, the, the BMOC big man on campus. I don't know who invited you to something, but there ain't never been an invitation like the one that Jesus extends. There ain't no party that's ever been one like the party that Jesus invites us to. You might not have gotten invited to a wedding. You know people fall out these days if you don't invite them to your wedding. But, but, but let me tell you this. If you didn't get invited to somebody's wedding because they had a max at 150 and they couldn't invite no more than that because of financial reasons, I understand that. But, but, but know this. You got invited to the most important feast, the most important gathering, and that was an invitation to life with God that was extended to us by Jesus. And here's what he says. Here's what the invitation says. And you can put this on your refrigerator. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come to me. If you are tired of everything that is going on and you don't have any answers, come to me. You can find rest. If you are weighed down by life itself, come to me. You can find rest. If your job has been wearing you out, come to me and you can find rest. If you've been worried about your children and you've been praying for them, come and you can find rest. If you've been stressing out about your parents, come to me and you can find rest. If you've been worrying about your relationship status, come to me and you can find rest. If you are weary because of social uh, or racial injustice, come to me and you can find rest. If you are stressed out about COVID-19, come to me and you can find rest. If you are tired of searching for the truth and you can't find the truth, you can come to me and you can find rest. I can alleviate all of the heavy burdens. If you are tired today, you can find rest. If you come to Jesus, he says, and I will give you rest. You know what he means? He says, I will refresh you. I will refresh you. I will make you feel just like you feel after you took a long, hot shower. Ain't nothing better than a long, hot shower. But Jesus says, if you come into a relationship with me, I'll give you all the hot water that you've ever had in your life. I will, I, will, I will throw and pour you down with nothing but my grace and wash over you. I will make you feel brand new. If you've been looking for a relationship that gives you, gives you rest, it's nothing worse than being in a relationship that keeps you up at night. It's nothing but being in the wrong relationship. But Jesus says, if you've been looking for the right relationship where you can rest at night, where your heart can be at ease, then you're looking not for a man or not for a woman. You're looking for me. Jesus is the right relationship. And he says, come to me 
all who are weary and burdened, th those who have been working. And he says, here's the thing. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart. Wait, wait a minute. He says, take up my yoke. Now, that might not mean anything to you because you might not know what a yoke is. Do you know a yoke was an instrument of work? A yoke was symbolic, actually, of social and political oppression. That's right. A yoke was a symbol of political and social oppression. When people saw a yoke, they knew that they were about to be oppressed. And here Jesus is, is saying, take up my yoke and put it on you and learn from me. A yoke was this wooden frame that you put on your shoulders in order to carry a load or burden. But what it did was it distributed the weight evenly across the body. It made the weight easier to carry. You had to carry something. It was designed to distribute the weight equally across your body. And so Jesus says, take on my yoke. It is to say that you already had a yoke on, that, that, that you already have a yoke on, that you are carrying a yoke. But notice Jesus doesn't say, take off your yoke and don't put on another one. Just be free. Jesus says, no, take off your yoke and then put on mine because you still got work to do. Jesus wants to give you rest, but Jesus don't want you to stop working. <laughs> Jesus ain't saying go take a long vacation of doing nothing, although that could be necessary. But what Jesus is saying is take off the yoke that has been put on you. Maybe the yoke is like the yoke the people in this context had, where, where it was both a physical yoke, but also the yoke of legalism from the Pharisees and the scribes who are adding on all these rules on top of God's law that were impossible for people to keep. Jesus mentioned that later on in Matthew's gospel in Matthew 23, verse 4. I told you you needed your Bible. Matthew 23, verse 4 says this, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to eat the burden. Have you ever met somebody that keep rules? They put more rules on you than Jesus does. He's talking about those types of people. He says they put a burden, a yoke of legalism on you. He says take off that yoke of legalism of trying harder Christianity and put on my yoke which is easier for you. Which means also that you can put on my yoke so that you can walk through life challenges. That, that you can, can relax in, in what you are doing. That, that the demands of righteousness are there but I'll help you to carry it, that, that you can do everything that I've asked you to do because you can put on my yoke and I can help you carry the weight. What kind of yoke are you wearing today? Is it the yoke of busyness but no productivity? You know, we are the busiest people and the most unfruitful people at the same time. We're always doing something and never getting nothing done. We're always starting something but never finishing anything. And so do you realize that that is busyness? And just because you're busy don't mean you're fruitful and productive? Is it the, the yoke of moving and shaking and climbing the ladder? Is it the yoke of trying to find the next person that you can get a relationship with because you're tired of being yourself? What, what, what kind of yoke? Is it the yoke of money? Is it the yoke of carrying the burdens of other family members that God ain't called you to carry in the first place? And so Jesus says, take on his yoke. He ain't telling you to escape from reality. But what he's saying is that, that, that I will help you to carry the yoke 
and you'll have rest while you're doing it. That, that your serving will be done in my strength and not in your own strength. He says, learn from me. Be, be my disciple. Walk with me. Go through this lifelong process. You'll still have work to do, but it won't be a burden to you. That you'll see it as service. He says, because I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to weigh you down with rules and regulations. But you'll see my perfect law and you'll strive to do them because you understand the purposes of them. That it's there to bring you into a relationship with me to show me what show you what I am like. He says, put on my yoke. Learn from me. Find rest in obeying my commands. Find rest in seeking first the kingdom of God. Find rest in living by doing my will. Life may be uncomfortable at times, but the yoke I give you, you will find grace and strength. So when you take on Jesus' yoke, I'm almost done. You don't have to worry about stress and fuss and complain about all that you got going on. But you will know that Jesus has allowed you to take on his yoke and that he is walking with you. He's not tied to the yoke with you, but he's helping you to carry it, that his grace is sufficient. Man, we are so tired that, 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 that we can't catch, catch a break. That we think, man, if, if things would just pause, if I could just get a vacation, and I'm not undermining vacations and trips because I know you got plenty planned for when this is over. I know you do. You got cruises booked and anticipation of an ending. I get it. But do you know that even a vacation can't really give you the rest that you need? You know how I know? You ever came off a vacation and you needed a rest from your vacation? You ever needed a vacation from the vacation? You go on a vacation, you sightseeing and going to restaurants and going to see people and going to concerts and going to shows and you tie it from the vacation. But Jesus is saying, I'm not just giving you a break from work. That ain't what I'm doing. I'm giving you a rest for your soul. That, that you need a, a rest in your heart. That I'm giving you a break from doing all the things that you're trying to do that sometimes I have nothing to do with, with me. And Jesus saying, take on my yoke. I am the rest giver. Are you tired of your job? Are you tired of juggling finances? Are you tired of the anxiety that is going on in the world today? Are you tired of the uncertainty and the unknown of life? Are you tired of loneliness? Are you tired of being single? Are you tired of being married? Are you tired of all of the things that are going Are you tired? Because of the oppression that is happening to people in our culture. Are you tired of sickness and disease and death? Jesus says, I got an invitation for you. And all are invited. Come to me and find rest for 
your soul. Find rest at the deepest level of who you are. And the only requirement to get into this party, the only requirement, you ain't got to send me back the RSVP. You don't have to go to Eventbrite. The way you get access to the rest is if you come humble and broken, sensing your need for the Savior. Jesus gives rest for the weary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.